Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church for the open arms and we serve in the city of joy, Kolkata. It is our desire to reach out to those in need and to be instruments of effective change in a hurting world. If you like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you'll enjoy today's message. As we continue a theme for the year, how many of us remember what the theme is? It's very simple by faith. Let me ask you straight away uh, to look into the word of God. Uh, the passage that uh, was given to me by a senior pastor is in Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, in fact, we will be reading quite a bit of scripture this morning. And this is one passage I invite you to read with me. We may not uh, read everything that I refer to this morning, but if you can join with me in reading this critical passage in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verses 19 onwards. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Is, can anybody not see it, the LCD? If you can, well, please join me. I can hear a few voices. But this is God's word. Okay, I'm not asking you to uh, repeat anything that I am telling you, but this is God's word. Let's, let's start try again, shall we? And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, who rules over God's house. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let's pause there. That is what we've just done this morning. Okay. As the worship team and the band have led us into that beautiful time of worship, I trust we have all been conscious of entering in to the most holy place. Let's continue to read from verse 23 onwards. Let us then hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now the next two verses are the heart of our topic this morning. So I want you to read them carefully. And if possible, if you have a way of marking it in your electronic Bible or whichever Bible you carry, please mark it. Okay, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Father, anoint your word, uh, which is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a hammer. It's a light. And Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to enlighten 
quicken, make your word living to us, Lord, regardless of who speaks it. And give us ears to hear what you want to say to the, your church this morning. In your precious and mighty name we pray. Amen. This letter of Hebrews from which we just read was written to a group of believers in a situation very similar to what we see today in our world. You're saying, Pastor, which situation? Many aspects of today's world, but the one specific thing I'm talking about is growing opposition to faith. All across the world, in almost every region of the world, there is opposition to the faith of Jesus. And uh, I have news for you. It's not going to get better. The opposition and hostility will only increase. Which is why what we have just read in the book of Hebrews is so relevant to our situation. And the writer of Hebrews is written this epistle with one purpose. To encourage them to persevere in faith. Regardless of what they see happening around them. And the whole epistle is devoted to expounding the greatness of the gospel. Basically what he's saying is the gospel is such a treasure. It is worth undergoing any opposition, hostility, pain, a persecution for the sake of this great treasure. Okay. So then what is he saying in this passage? What do we need to keep faith alive in difficult times? What do we need to keep faith alive in difficult times? In short, if you read through this passage again, he points out two things that we need. The first is, verses 19 to 22, we need God's presence. And how many people say amen? We need God's presence. Without God's presence, it's impossible to survive. Why opposition persecution? We can't go through life with all its googlies, its uncertainties, ups and downs without God's presence. The second thing, which is our focus this morning, verses 24 and 25, simply put, we need each other. Turn to your neighbor and just say those four words. Okay? If there's nobody in front, uh, next to you, turn behind you. If nobody's behind you, look in front of you. Okay? But let's try that again. I know some of us are shy, introverted, but I'm going to give you one more chance. Okay? Because this is God's word. Okay? And guess what? Regardless of how I feel, how I think, I align my life in accordance with God's word. And if you can't talk to each other, the rest of the message is irrelevant, okay? So just four words. Okay, one more time. I'm closing my eyes, so I'm not seeing whether you're doing it or not. We need each other. Say that, will you? We need each other. Thank you very much, those of you who did it. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is, some of you are going on and talking. It's okay. We build each other's faith life. In fact, that was the theme that was given to me as the focus for today. We build each other's faith life as we, again, I'm 
expanding on what we just said. We need, we need each other. Why? According to verse 24 and 25, we build each other's faith life as we meet together. You've obeyed the word of God in showing up this morning. Smile at me. Sometimes preachers just hit you hard, right? We, we tend to tell you everything you're doing wrong. Today I'm telling you, you're doing something right. So smile at me. How do we encourage one another? How do we build each other's faith? We meet together. This is not my words. I'm only restating what we read, okay? You can go back and look. If I'm saying anything which is not in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24, 25, please correct me. We meet together to encourage one another. You can't encourage each other if you're the strong, silent type who comes, sits somewhere, and just goes without talking to anybody. Okay, That's not the main point. It's a side point. We meet together to encourage one another and motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Now, I'm going to ask you to read with me, not because the audience... Sunday school or children's church or nursery school, uh, psychologists tell us, if you want to remember, some teachers here are smiling at me. Okay, you need to use different gateways, eyes, ears, and you'll remember this. Okay, so read it with me if you care to. We build each other's faith life when we meet together to encourage one another and motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This is the theme of my message. So if you're tired, you're sleepy, you fall asleep while I'm speaking. It's okay. Don't forget this. It's a summary. As obviously, you don't mind me talking a little longer, right? Okay. Not yet ready to go home. As a springboard, let me remind you of something, a passage very familiar in Luke chapter 10. And before we, I read this important well-known well parable, Let me, just to give you the context, an expert in the law comes to Jesus and asks this question, what should I do to inherit eternal life? The most important question of life, by the way, okay, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers him, very simple, what does the law of Moses say? And this learned lawyer says, repeats, the whole law as you know, summarizes in two, two, two sentences. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Part two, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've answered right. You got it right. Do this and you will live. Two key operative words. Can you guess what they are? Do. Everybody say it with me. Do. And you will live. Do you want to live? What must you do? Do. Okay. Good. You're with me this morning. And the lawyer, not satisfied because he knew something is not right with me. Who is my neighbor? Now, obviously, I really believe that was the Holy Spirit prompting him because that's where the weakness lies. Then Jesus goes on to relate this familiar parable. Because it is so familiar, I'll read it rather quickly, okay? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. How many of you are familiar with this parable? Okay, easier. How many of you don't, never heard this parable before? Thank God. Okay. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant or a Levite walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then, a, by the way, notice there's a slight variation in the response. The priest saw him, walked on. The temple assistant, which some versions say uh, is the Levite, temple assistant is a modern translation, walked over, looked at him lying there, okay? A little more uh, involvement, but also passed by on the other side. Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, oh, one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The remaining time I want to quickly highlight from this passage three marks of a living faith. What I'm calling faith alive. Marks that your faith is alive. Very simple points, okay? Actually, when I go through this, you'll say, Pastor, we knew this all the time. Well, if you did, bless you. I'll just say with Jesus, Go and do the same. What is the first mark? Faith alive is shown in action. Now, let me make it very clear. The New Testament makes it unmistakably clear. We are saved. God invites us to heaven. Not because of the good works we do. We do not, no one enters heaven by good works. God grants us the gift of salvation by grace through faith. In short, the theme of our this year is by faith. How are we saved? How are we saved? A little louder, please. How are we saved? If you don't know that, you're in the wrong place this morning. We are saved by faith, which is a gift of God to us. Okay. Now, having said that, this faith, according to the word of God, must not be confused with lip service or dead religion. Pastor, what do you mean by dead religion? Okay. By the end of this message, I hope it will become clearer. Jesus had said the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Back to the parable. The bandits represent Satan and the powers of evil in our world. We face it as soon as you step out through the door. In fact, I think sometimes demons linger in greater numbers at the gates of churches, okay? That's the time you need to be more careful, okay? But 
the bandits represent the forces of evil and Satan. The victim of this violent robbery, this innocent traveler, lying by the wayside, is a picture of the world in which we live. Broken people, hurting people, people in pain, people in need. The priest and the Levite represent, I, don't be offended when I say this, represents us. People who claim to know God and to live by faith. But here's the thing, friends, and this is where I hope you and I don't qualify, okay? The priest and Levite are within the ranks of those who claim to live by faith. But the faith by which they claim to live is a dead faith, not a living faith. Now, some of you might say, Pastor, is there such a thing as a dead faith? Believe it or not, there is. The Apostle James talks about it. James chapter 2. I'm reading verse 14 onwards, 14 to 17 actually, and then verse 26. 14 to 17 and verse 26. And uh, please read these verses with me. Okay. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is is there a dead faith? The word of God says there is. And in case you missed the point, when you come to verse 26, James says it bluntly. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So I want to step back and correct what I said. You and I are most closely, we are not bandits, right? And we are not the dead victim or the dying victim, I beg your pardon. You have to decide whether you're a priest, a Levite, or the Good Samaritan. When James says faith without deeds is dead, what deeds, what actions, what works are we talking about? To throw light on this, let me invite you to go with me to the banks of the River Jordan. There's a fire-breathing preacher there called John the Baptist. And we had a beautiful uh, service, a water baptism service on Friday. I wasn't there, but I heard about it. It's a wonderful, joyful occasion, right? Now, when you come for water baptism, most pastors will say, welcome, come, please. We'd love to baptize you. Not John the Baptist. Listen to his words. To the crowds who are coming for baptism. 
See, there's sometimes we are motivated to go with the crowd. Okay? It's wonderful to have a big church. It's wonderful to be in a big church. And sometimes all of us think about is, you know, uh, being part of a big church. And you go online these days, you go on TV, oh, what a big church. How wonderful to be a big church. You know, I don't want to be critical this morning, but a lot of people I go to big churches because they want to be part of the crowd. And listen to John the Baptist encouraging words to the crowd who are coming for baptism. Luke 3, you brood of snakes who warned you to flee the coming wrath. Oh, that's hot words, right? Aren't you glad Pastor Patrick doesn't preach that way? What is he saying? Look at verse 8. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. It's not about the water. It's not about the right words. The, by the way you live. But thank God for the crowds. Many of them were sincere. They asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Sounds like Lady Sale, Sister Mina. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? Corrupt tax collectors. Collect no more taxes than the government requires. Stop being corrupt. What should we do? Ask some soldiers. Even soldiers came for baptism. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. We could go on and on to every category of people. What is he saying? And you need to apply this to your life as I do to mine. There is something here for everybody. This is a menu that you can apply to your own life. Something for everybody to do. Those two short two-letter words. What are they? Do. If, it, if it's too much for you, just one word. Do. Stop doing wrong. Start doing good. You know, friends, I have devoted more than four decades of my life to studying God's word. And you know what I've discovered? Hours and hours of study, meeting some of the greatest scholars in the world. The most important things in God's word are simple. The most important you know, people sometimes come to you with googlies. They come to pastors. Pastor, what about this? You know, who did Cain marry? You know, questions like that. All kinds of cryptic questions. What about this, this uh, you know, animal in the book of Revelation? What does it mean? Now, we may or may not be able to answer that. One thing is for sure. The Bible is very clear about we, what we must. What we must. Good, thank you. You're all with me this morning. Now, religious people, we love to look on those outside. Look down on those outside. Let me take you to prayer. Luke chapter 18. A religious person. He says, I thank you, God. I'm not like other people. Did any of you think that way on coming to church today? Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, people who stay home, don't go to church. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. You see, friends, here's the, the lesson. Those of us who live by faith or claim to live by faith, the Levite, the priest, the warning, it's easy for us, very easy for us, for me and you to slip into dead religion. Faith alive is seen in action. It's not enough to stay away from evil, beloved. Those who claim to live by faith must be actively involved in doing good. Second mark, very quickly, of faith alive, it's seen in compassion. The characters in this parable, excuse me, represent three kinds of people in our world. Some of you may have heard this. There are three types of people in the world. Bandits represent people in the world you know and I know. They look at the world outside, other people. What is yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Now, these are not necessarily robbers who, you know, attack you on the street. It can be in the corporate world. It can be your business partner. It can be the person who copies from you in an exam. What is yours is mine. I'm going to take it. The first kind of people. The priest and Levite are the second kind of people who see the need and go on their way to perform their duties. We see need around us. We're sympathetic. Basically, we may say, too bad. So sad. But this is someone else's problem. Not mine. I have my life. I have my problems. You know what the attitude, you can summarize it. What is mine is mine. I'm going to keep it. My time, my money, my mine. The third kind of people. And I pray all of us within the sound of my voice this morning will want to be like the Samaritan. Who when he saw need, he felt compassion for the victim of evil. All around us are victims of evil. Sisters and brothers. God involved. Soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. Bandaged him. Took him to an inn. Took care of him. Faith alive is this. What is mine is God's. I must share it. There's an important word that describes the Samaritan's motivation. Compassion. Compassion. This is a word that is used of Jesus repeatedly over and over again in the Gospels. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion on the hungry and fed them. He had compassion on the hurting and healed their sick. He had compassion on those who were bound by evil spirits and delivered them. Much of our world, the world we live in, is still in the grip of extreme poverty, friends. Poverty. What is poverty? We all know what poverty is. But let me remind you, poverty is hunger. Poverty is lack of proper shelter. Poverty is losing a child to disease due to contaminated water. Poverty is being sick and having no access or 
being unable to afford medical treatment. Poverty is not knowing how to read or to sign your name. Poverty is being unable to support your family. Poverty is living in fear of the uncertain future and being powerless to do anything about it. And we in India are privileged. I say privileged, I'm not being sarcastic here. To live in what is still, at this point in time, the second poorest country in the world. 20% of India's population. You know what that number is? 250 million. If you put the population of England, France and Germany together, it will still not be 250 who live under extreme poverty. In a country where the top 1% own 60% of India's wealth. Where the wealth of 16 people equal to two rows in this, in this sanctuary equals the wealth of 600 million. Let me say that again. 16 people in India own as much wealth as 600 million. How many of us here own a refrigerator, have access to a refrigerator at home? Can I see you in the fridge? Okay. Put your hand up. Yeah, I know it's a, you say a dumb question, Pastor. Put your hand down. Did you know you are one of 10% of India who have access to refrigerator? And the greatest lack, the greatest need in our country, people who don't know about God's offer of eternal life, free gift of eternal life in Jesus. I've told you, I'm sure I shared this story before. Maybe I'll, I'll just skip it, okay? A founder of World Vision, a guy by the name Bob Pierce. You may have heard this line. It says, let my heart be broken right, with the things that break the heart of God. Because Bob Pierce founded an organization that today has 30,000 workers, 200,000 volunteers in over 100 countries, impacting the life of 200 million children in the world. Now, not all of us can be Bob Pierce, okay? But we can be like him. We can be like the Good Samaritan. We can be like Jesus if we allow our hearts to be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Faith alive is shown in action. Faith alive is seen in compassion. Thirdly and finally, third mark of faith alive, it involves a cost. Let me state the obvious. And I'm not judging any of you here because if all human beings, beginning with me, are naturally self-centered. Hmm? Even believers, yeah. Even pastors, we are naturally self-centered. And we have this circle of priority. Hmm? Beginning with me. Then mine. My family, my people, my caste, my community, 
those outside that circle are excluded from your circle of priority. And we come to Jesus and that mindset remains unchanged. We think it's natural, it's normal. But let me remind you of what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5. Listen to what he said. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Here is the mark of faith life, friends. Jesus' compassion. And Jesus' compassion embraces the other. The person who is different, the person who is outside, the person who is excluded. And we embrace her or him just as much as we do our own. Let me come back to the Samaritan. Let's look at him again. The man lying at the side of the road was a total stranger. Follow me very closely. Helping this victim was a risky, costly business. It would cost him time, his resources, his business. He was on his way to an appointment, right? Don't know what happened to that appointment. His reputation, perhaps even life. And I'll tell you why. Let me break it down. You say, Pastor, why do you say that? The bandits may have still been around. In fact, the 27-kilometer journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, that road was notorious. It was extremely dangerous. He could have been the next victim of those bandits if they were lying in wait. Now, it's well known that the Jews despise the Samaritans. Can you imagine as he's with this victim, if a Jewish group had come along and seen him, what they would have thought? Or the man had died in his arms. They'd say, you killed him. They were deadly enemies, Jews and Samaritans. If his own people came, they would hate him. His own people would hate him. Why are you touching that Jew? You know, they, uh, we are, they treat us as enemies. He gives this man his personal care and attention, gives him first aid, carries him to an inn, cares for him there, pays his expenses. Now, if I were there, I'd say, wow, it's over, right? I've done my good turn for the day. You know what he does? He does even more. He tells the innkeeper, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Imagine this commitment, not just to a stranger, but to an enemy. That, sisters and brothers, is faith alive. Because faith alive, compassion, is not just a feeling of pity or sympathy. It's always an action response. It involves time, which some of you already generously give. And if you're not, you need to consider how you can give your time. It involves money. Some of you also generously give. If you're not, it's time to consider that. And inconvenience. Great inconvenience. You know, friends, I some, did you think about what would have happened if the Samaritan walked by? Almost certainly, that man would have died. And my Bible says, God is not willing for any to perish, 
and in order to stop people from perishing god so loved the world that he gave god's love cost him listen again to god's word in 1 john 3 verses 16 and 18 we know what real love is because jesus gave up his life for us we know what real love is because jesus gave up his life for us so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters he's not talking about your flesh and blood brothers and sisters he's talking about people sitting next to you right here brothers and sisters in the faith dear children let's not merely say that we love each other let us show the truth read it with me let us show the truth by ah here's the truth friends that i want hopefully to be embedded in our hearts before we leave the service it's a summary of my message it's in the next slide if we want to build each other's faith we must be willing read it with me if we want to build each other's faith we must be willing to set aside self just as jesus did on the cross and willingly pour out our lives in costly service of one another if you have a camera please photograph that that's the message for today let's read it again if we want to build each other's faith we must be willing to set aside self as jesus did on the cross and willingly pour out our lives in costly service of one another i want to give a last illustration some of you may have heard of this there was a famous sociologist by the name of rodney stark a sociologist not i don't know whether he was a christian or not okay he's not a missionary or a pastor he wanted to learn how an obscure jesus movement which was opposed by the most powerful empire in history you know what that is the roman empire jesus never traveled more than 25 kilometers you know that he died and left nothing behind and so this man was curious how is that this obscure movement overcame the opposition of the mighty roman empire the greatest empire in history and took over the western world in a few hundred years you know how he what he concluded is a book which i'm just summarizing you can go to the next slide it's there you know what he concluded he said the good works of jesus's followers who showed courageous compassion for their unbelieving neighbors during terrible plagues like covid when people threw their own family members diseased family members into the streets followers of christ came forward to love and care for their fellow humans imagine people threw their own family members they were scared of the plague onto the streets believers came picked them up and you know what it did such acts of self giving love turned enemies into friends this is a quote from stark's book heedless of danger risk christians took charge of the sick attending to their every need and when they also contracted the illness departed this life serenely happy god wants us to build each other's faith friends the way of christ is not meant to be lived alone but we must have a faith that's alive shown in action seen in compassion and selfless 
investment. In one phrase, costly, compassionate action. What is the what are the mark? What is the mark of uh, faith alive? Costly, compassionate action. Perhaps you're sitting here, and as the musicians come, and I bring this message and the service to a close. As you're sitting here, you're saying, Pastor, I, I got it. I hope some of us got it. Okay, I understand the cost, but I can never give God more than He can give in me. How many of you will say that? I can never give God more than He has given me. Can you raise your hand if you really believe that? I understand the cost. I can never give God more than He has given me. And you have a practical question: What must I do? What can I do? Huh? You want to know? I'm glad you asked. I'm just throwing out some practical. We're talking about what? A little word called "do." What can I do? Many opportunities. Many options. Let me run through them quickly. Seize one of the growth opportunities this church provides through the Equip Institute, HMS, ICOM, so on. Meet one of the pastors. Meet Pastor Cynthia. Meet Pastor Jacob. Meet someone. Say, I want to know how I can be engaged in doing good. Now, why haven't you done it so far? Because you're too busy. There's a cost. Open a care group. You've heard us say this, and you say, "No, Pastor, my home is not clean. My home is very small." Well, then at least join a care group. Uh, very quickly, you know, to just give you a glimpse of what the care group can do. You know, last week on Sunday, a dear couple who attend the way and they attend this church as well. I don't want to mention their name to embarrass them. The lady fell and uh, hurt herself on Sunday afternoon, just before they came to church. And she had, we rushed to the hospital, got stitches. My wife and I heard because they live close by. Monday evening, we decided to visit them. You know what is the beautiful thing, Pastor Patrick? You'll be very thrilled to hear this. There were already a couple there. Within 24 hours, they are a busy couple. The lady is a chartered accountant. She had cooked a meal and brought it to help. This dear family, within 24 hours, big care group members, and while we are sitting there, another care group member came, and it was like a little care group because one lady was, you know, what the Bible says: one part is hurting, the whole body suffers. The care group allows that opportunity. Thirdly, if you are financially able, support Choir of India. This church. I, you're, in case you're not aware, let me remind you: every day feeds thousands of people on the street. This church supports over 2,000 poor children through education and a free meal every day of the week. Can you have a small part in that? Support one child. Find out about it. Sponsor a student at Bhante Theological College. You want more options? Let me give you. Share Jesus with a friend, a colleague, or neighbor. Pastor, I don't know how to do this. Well, join a care group and just invite that person to the care group, or invite that person to church. Pastor, they won't come. Then let's okay. Give it a try. Do something. But I want to close with this barest minimum. Pastor, what must I do? I think this is the hardest. You know what it is. If you want to build 
somebody else's faith take a decision today as we close the service that i am never going to take offense say pastor what do you mean we're all human beings attending care groups all human beings attending church and because i am as human as you i might offend you you might offend me and there are many of us who walk into church services still holding grudges pastor what does this have to do it's very very costly to let go of an offense let me challenge you with god's word first corinthians 6:7 why not rather he's talking about believers taking each other to the law courts believers seeking for justice i'm a victim of injustice so i'm going for a just settlement he says among believers don't look for justice pastor what are you saying god's word why not rather be wronged why not rather be cheated why not follow jesus who was wronged who was cheated who was betrayed but on the cross he said father forgive them faith alive is costly sometimes it's easier to give money to give time to give everything but the grudge or the bitterness we are holding against somebody who may have offended you last week last month or maybe last year let it go thanks for listening to this message from ag kolkata we hope you would stay connected by following us online you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram by using @agckolkata we would love to know how this message has touched your life please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories@agkolkata.org at hope you have a great week ahead 